It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on into the Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. Once a month, we talk uh, with our two guests that are here today for our State of Women in Utah. And I'm so excited for this month's topic, uh, talking with Emily Bell McCormick of the Policy Project and Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Hi, ladies. How are we? Doing great. Thank you. So yeah. good to be here. So happy to have you both with me again, as we do every month. Now, uh, Emily, I usually start with Susan in these episodes, but I'm going to start with you today because you have some yeah. exciting legislation uh, that you're hoping to get passed up on Utah's Capitol Hill. Tell me about it. Yes, I'm so excited because we have worked you if anyone knows anything about me, I am big into menstruation. And um, (laughs) we've worked in the past, you know, for the past three or four years on different elements of this started with a tampon tax in 2018 ish 2019. And um, really tried to get uh, the tax taken off of menstrual products. And I will just give you a really quick history. Uh, The way that that turned out was we attached it to a larger tax reform bill. Um, that went through at the end of 2019. It passed. It was great. Tampons, pads, menstrual cups, period panties, all of it was tax-free in the month of January 2020 until that was overturned. Right. So we now have taxes back on tampons and pads, and we've kind of shifted focus. So the thing that I'm, I am incredibly excited about, because the impact of this is going to be so much greater, is trying to get tampons and pads into every public and charter school in the state of Utah. And when I say get them there, we're not talking about just like having a dispenser there. A lot of people will ask like, oh, well, don't we already have dispensers? We're talking about having these um, products free um, and safe products that these girls can use because shockingly 70% of girls, well, it's actually 68%. So seven in 10 girls miss have missed school due to a lack of period products. And so the impact so, is just going to be massive. Yeah. That's so interesting to me that here in Utah, we have that problem. I mean, this seems like a problem that for lack of a better phrase that third world countries would have. Right. And you're saying it's a problem right here in Utah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's the, always the big shock when we talk about menstrual equity issues, when we talk about menstruation issues and, you know, any type of policy surrounding menstruation. In fact, the genesis for this is so interesting because it came from a conversation with a friend of mine who was living in South Africa at the time um, who was working on menstrual issues in low income countries, really low income countries. I mean, countries where they're still sending their girls to a tent for a week, a month to bleed. I mean, because that exists, right? And then it opens them up to a whole other list of harms. And in this conversation, you know, we started looking at, well, if there's a problem, is is that significant somewhere else? What's going on in the United States? And as we started looking at it, we realized, man, this is, I, I thought for sure, oh, we're not going to find anything. The U.S., we've got this buttoned up. No, instead you start digging and there are endless issues with uh, nothing had been done in menstrual policy, actually. So, Emily, one of the things that I'm interested in, and it seems like I've heard you talking about this before, is that there's already certain things in in the state of Utah that are tax free 
right? And it's really interesting to look at some of the things that are tax-free already and then kind of compare. I've heard you talk about that before um, because there's some things that are tax-free that, that you think, what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, this is one of my, I love it because it's like the automatic, if someone's not like buying into the idea of, oh, we should take the sales tax off of tampons if they are kind of hesitant, it, it's a pretty easy list. So that's what we discovered is that, you know, first of all, at the federal level, the IRS classifies everything we buy. We all know this because we pay taxes to them every year. And so every product in the U.S. has a tax on it. And what we discovered was at the time, you know, they, there's this big um, bucket of things that are not taxed because they are considered so very important that they don't need to enter it, that our, our U.S. government does not believe that they need to be taxed. And those are things that are medically necessary. So those include things like prescription drugs, they include things like Advil or Benadryl, you know, some of those things. They also include things like Rogaine, Viagra, also include things like sunscreen, Band-Aids. Of course, the big hole in that bucket. Interesting. Tampons and pads, mm. you know, menstrual items were not included in that when we first, you know, when, when this happened. Um, and, and a big reason, as we can talk about on this show, is that uh, women were not at the table. You know, we're not there to represent ourselves. There was kind of a Victorian feeling about how um, women's bodies were perceived. We can't talk about it. It is in our place. So it wasn't with like complete malintent that this happened. I think it was a big oversight. Um, and then so that gain. And yeah. Viagra are tax-free and oh, yeah. tampons are not. That's okay. right. That's right. Thank you for yeah. clarifying kind of, that, Susan. Rogaine yeah. is critical. It's yeah. so critical. <laughs> oh, yeah. But when you look at the base level of what's really foundational in someone's life um, in terms of even existence, I mean, you know, throughout time, of course, this has been been a challenging topic. I always thought, my gosh, I'm glad I'm not a pioneer woman crossing the plains, yeah. right? Yeah. All of those struggles. But but that is, I mean, your time of the month, I put that in quote marks, um, <laughs> um, is so, for, for many, many women, it disrupts so many things that you do. Um, it, right. it just changes how you feel, um, and, how, and what you do, right? How you feel and what you do. Yeah, it's really important. And Emily, I want to dive into that topic that Susan brought up a little bit more in the next segment. But just while we're on the topic of what's taxed and what's not, um, you know, when we've discussed this issue in the past, lawmakers have often kind of cited, you know, it's a slippery slope of what things we make tax free and what things we don't. Right. So I think that if you are going to play devil's advocate here, you would just say, well, well, should adult diapers be tax-free should you know incontinence products be tax-free right you could kind of make the argument for any of those items so how do you defend that slippery slope argument yeah that's a tricky one because we do run into that especially in conservative states because we've worked at you know on this at a national level as well and so you can kind of see the different arguments that are going to crop up in different places and um that one i actually had a legislator who gave me the best argument for that he said he was an unlikely candidate to support this just based on past voting record and the way that he perceives taxes and the way that you know um government should function in our lives um and he just said, you know, there are just some things that are important enough that they should be a carve out. Mm. So we we protect our tax code, especially in conservative states, in in a very serious way. Um, we do have a lot of ironies in that, I will say. 
let me just say, you know, uh, sporting events <laughs> right. and colleges are not taxed. Arcade the same tokens, talk, you know, arcade tokens. Other, yeah, arcade tokens. We've got car wash tokens. None of those are taxed. So I know we love to say that, but we definitely have a lot of carve outs. But some things are just important enough that that they just should not incur a tax. You cannot function without these things. And you're right. There are a list of things. To be honest, maybe diapers shouldn't be taxed, right? Um, but 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 this is an issue that affects women. It affects their ability to work. So it's a workforce issue. It's also an education issue because it affects their ability to be educated. So it's just it's it's a such a heavy, broad issue that it does deserve to be considered as something separate. Yeah, so interesting. Emily Bell McCormick is with the Policy Project, advocating for uh, menstruation products to be in Utah's public schools to provide those. So I want to dive more into this issue with Emily and Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project when we come back on the Mom Show. You've joined The Mom Show. Being a mom can be tough sometimes. We try to make it easier. Here's Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us, having a conversation today that some might have a hard time listening to, but let's be clear, we're all talking above board for the next hour here. Uh, a policy that's up on Capitol Hill. Uh, that has to do with menstruation products uh, for Utah's women and girls. There is a group, and uh, the leader of that group is here, who is pushing for legislation uh, to make period products available for girls in all of Utah's public schools right now. And Emily Bell McCormick is with the Policy Project, and so is Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women and Leadership Project, where we discuss uh, the state of women in Utah once a month here on the show. So, Emily, talk to me about the need for these products in Utah schools. So are you just telling me that, you know, some girls who go to school right now don't have these products available and they're they're not available in schools for them to get and that's harming them? Yeah, no, I think the need is one of the most compelling factors in this argument because uh, I, I think when we kind of think, oh gosh, if you think there's not a need, it's because you don't have a need, you know, um, um, but the number of kids, okay, so first thing, um, 90% of girls start their periods by age 13, right? We know that 10 to 15% of girls start their periods at age seven, which is mind-blowing. I mean, that is first or I second grade, well before they've developed, well before all these other things. The other tricky thing about that statistic is for um, um, low-income groups, that number is much higher. So the like a wealthier population, they're experiencing periods at age seven at a much lower rate. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's more like uh, 3%, you know, but if you're in a low-income group, it's more like 30%. Really? It's super high age seven. Um, and you think about that, like just the reality of starting your period at that age, it's well before you are of a legal age to work. So you're not allowed to work. You're not in charge of your family finances. You don't have a way to actually go purchase those products. Um, and we also know that 50% of women living in poverty have to choose between a meal and a period products on the monthly. So the statistics are pretty compelling. They're pretty motivating. Um, and, and one thing that I found in dealing with uh, or in working with legislators and working with a lot of men um, in power is that there's actually just a misunderstanding of um, this because they don't experience it. So a lot of times men will actually think of menstruation as something like a bathroom need, but 
what's different about this is it's much more akin to a bloody nose. And so part of it that's been interesting for me um, in speaking to people is just explaining that difference because actually not everybody knows that. Um, um, it, it's something that's been, you know, talked about or kind of hidden. And so the need is there for girls to take care of this because it's spontaneous and the need is immediate. And if you don't care for it, you've got to leave the school. That need is so real and the access not having access makes it so that these kids are, are um, staying at home. They're not going to school, you know, yeah. so their education is very disrupted. And that impacts education. Let me bring in Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. Dr. Madsen, you used to teach junior high. I mean, how did you see this issue impact the students you taught? Actually, I, I, I taught for a couple of years um, right after I got married and I, and I finished um, my degree. And a couple of times... I, you know, it, it wasn't on my radar as much because I, I was probably 23, 24 at the time. But I remember distinctly, probably three or four times, actually, in the year, year and a half, I taught junior high where I would have young women come in. And this was seventh, eighth, ninth graders and just just had this really distressed look on their face and uh, just be in tears and and said I, I need need help yeah you know and I don't know what to do and the stress and the drama and oh my gosh that that was just just uh difficult to just see them go through the pain you know they weren't ready or they didn't have the products that they needed or they didn't have a you know dime back then yeah, probably yeah. to put in the little machine and so forth I did want to make a, a another comment though on um Emily's topic and and you know what both both of the efforts Emily that you've been working on thank you so much for this work but the taxation I mean that's super important I know know you're focusing more on this year on on uh, getting them into the schools but wanted to just really make a comment about one of the reasons that we struggle getting these kinds of legislation these bills passed is because of the makeup of our state legislature. Mm. So right now we have um, four, no, five women senators out of 29 spots. And really the research says that 30% is the tipping point. That's when you really are able to have women's voices make a difference. In the, uh, in the House, you know, we have 20. So overall we have 25 spots. But when you look at the data around the nation, it is so clear that states with more women's women legislators actually get a lot funding differently than states with less like ours. So um, states that have more women give more money to education, to healthcare, to social programs like poverty and homelessness and and helping victims of sexual assault and domestic violence and things like this. If we had more women in our state legislature, this is a no-brainer, Emily mm. and Lindsay. This is a oh yeah, no this would have been done years. Years, ago. we would not be having this conversation. Oh. No, but but your comment about men. I mean, they don't experience it unless they really have you know single dads with teenage daughters or. Or not even just teenage daughters, right, Emily? Your statistics—I've heard that it's crazy. Seven and eight and nine-year-olds. So Can you even imagine? 
um, that situation. But uh, so not all men, they get a little bit of that. But we have so many men that just don't deal with that. Even if they have daughters, they just don't deal with it. And Emily, as you work with these legislators up on Capitol Hill and you try to get some of this legislation passed, I imagine some of their first questions are, how much is this going to cost, right? Because it's going to cost some money, right, to put these products into schools. Yeah. And the reality of it is it's an ongoing issue, right? So it's it's always bigger for a legislature when you're like, okay, this this is in perpetuity. This is this isn't gonna go away, our population's gonna grow. Um uh yeah, so we have done a couple things this year to make it more palatable. And one of those is getting a private um some private donors to donate all the dispensers. So we've already secured dispensers for every single school in the state. It is like Thank you. It's a massive win. I, I, a good friend, Kristen Andrus is working on that portion of it. She's just done an amazing job. So it's a lot of money, you know, it's over a million dollars that we need for that. And you see that these people are stepping in, they get the need. Like that is such a testament to the need that is there that people are just literally like, how is this not done? How can we help here, let's get a million dollars and put dispensers in school. So you already got a million dollars and you already have enough dispensers for every school, not just yeah. high school, but elementary school. And oh no, school? we're going all the way down. We're doing elementary schools because if you're starting at age seven, I mean, a first grader. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're going all the way down. And then it becomes this, this is too nerdy, but then it becomes a supply demand thing. I mean, you know, obviously elementary schools are not going to use as much as a high school might, but, um, but yeah, so the legislature, I mean, I I think they've been, we can talk about this later, but they've been very, they're excited about it. And I think that hopefully uh, at least leadership is interested, expressed a lot of interest and support of this so far. So So anything can happen. You just need at this point, their permission to put these in schools, right? Yes, we do. And we need the funding. It'll end up being between, I mean, right now we've got a between, around 4 million a year. It's a, it's a range. We're trying to pinpoint that number, but, but to be honest, our state budget is so big. Yeah. It makes it sound like 25 cents. So yeah, okay. I think we can do it. Uh, Emily Bell McCormick with the policy project. That's like big news. I'm, I'm going to share that with, well, I just did share it with the world, but that's, that's big news. Yes, that you did. Already secured all these dispensers. Uh, Dr. Susan Matson as well with the Utah Women and Leadership Project. We'll take a break more on the mom show in just a minute. It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us. If you are just joining us, we're talking about a topic today that might be some for hard to talk about, but it's a topic that needs talked about, and that is that there is a group out there working to put menstruation products in every Utah school. Uh, I'm assuming for next school year, right? As soon as we can, right? They need the state legislature to give some funding for this, and they're lobbying up there on Capitol Hill to try uh, to make this a reality. So Emily Bell McCormick is with the Policy Project. They're the group undertaking that. And then Dr. Susan Matson here as well with us uh, from the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Ladies, always happy to have you on the show. 
Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Emily, as we talk about this issue of putting menstruation products in uh, Utah schools, we've talked about sort of the need for this, and and you talked about how even here in Utah, girls are are being harmed because they don't have these products available to them, and they're having to choose between a meal and taking care of themselves, right? And so uh, just talk to me again about why this issue is so important to you. Yeah, you know, I think uh, it seems like dealing with menstruation, sometimes when I say menstrual policy, it seems like such a niche thing. Some people will be like, oh, that's very narrow. Right. Um, but I think I think what when you think about the reality of it, 50% of the population is affected by it, right? So 50%, it's a monthly occurrence for 40 years of someone's life. And, and monthly, it's not for 20 minutes, it's days, right? Like we're talking three to five days, three to seven days, really, for people. And so, uh, and it has to be dealt with immediately. It's not something that you can wait on or, you know, you have to deal with it immediately. And so I think when you actually think in those terms, it's a massive issue. It's so broad. It affects everything we do. If we're not taking care of that, we're not able to work. If we're not taking care of that, we're not able to go to school. And so as much as... Um, uh, as much as it seems small, I was actually so excited to trip upon this area of policy that was kind of hadn't been worked on, you know, at the time that we discovered it, it was very new. Um, just because I was like, the impact is huge. It's huge. And when we talk about period poverty uh, and the ability that we have to actually change that in this lifetime, that we could take care of this problem for every single person who menstruates, every girl, every woman, you know, it, it, the impact would just, it, it will change so many things within our communities. Yeah, it's really important. Dr. Susan Matson, let me bring you in with the Utah Women and Leadership Project. Your thoughts on why you see this as such an important issue? It really is important for all the reasons that Emily has been talking about. It It is an issue that really does make people uncomfortable, I have to say. Not everybody, but a lot of people, and especially men, but, but many women too, because it is the hush-hush topic, especially in my generation. And it still is there today, a little bit more out there. Um, but it's so important because it does impact so many lives and not just women's lives, the way women feel, um, the way, you know, on vacation things could happen and you're like, you know, can't can't trust uh, going in a swimming pool or, or something like that. That impacts what your family does often. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's just so important because, um, yeah, one point I was going to make is that I'm working on so many issues right now that are really more family-friendly issues that are things throughout time that we have said as a state, not me personally, but as a state, those are private issues. Those are private issues. They, they families, so things like childcare, that's a private issue only. Families need to just take care of that on their own. Flexibility. Well, you know, you can just work part time if you want flexible work. And that's a family thing. Um, But more and more what we see is these issues are really public issues because it it affects so many people and it it needs to be looked at in public policy as a public issue. Child care, flexibility, you know, leave policies, uh, menstrual, you know, legislation. These are 
you know, these are really important issues. So, so it is whether we're uncomfortable or not. By the way, when people tell me they're uncomfortable, my students are like, "This is really a hard, hard paper." I'm like, "Yay!" Because then we can grow when they're learners. <laughs> when we're outside our comfort zone, let's challenge ourselves to get a little more comfortable and talk about things that really make a difference in half the population's lives. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dr. Matson. And Emily, as she brings up that point about this being a public versus a private issue, how have you sensed lawmakers have been receptive to this issue as you've started to work on it? You know, it's taken time. I think initially it was very much a private issue for them. Um, if you listen, the, uh, the tampon tax, getting rid of the tax on tampons had actually been introduced in our state legislature uh, for three or four years prior to when I started working on it. Um, and if you go back and look at the committee or listen to the committee meetings, they're public records, so we actually have those. Um, you will hear that in these meetings, they were, first of all, um, groups of men. So to Dr. Madsen's point about the legislature is heavily male still. Um, it was an exclusively men. And when discussing the bill, the word menstruation and period never came up. So I think, like you, you know, we're talking about four it? different years. <laughs> and so I think part of it is just a matter of getting used to saying the words, taking the stigma away from this. And so when I go into a male, male legislator's office and say, if I were to start my period right now, Am I embarrassed? Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed, but I got to think this is for like a greater cause. And you can see that they're a little embarrassed. But the more I talk about it, they're like, oh, she's not going to stop. We're going to just like, deal with it. <laughs> well, so I think that that's a, that, you know, and, and it's words, you know, I think it helps like when we treat it more normally, when we speak it about menstruation in more normal terms, like a, you know, like a bloody nose or like a, any type of just a general health issue and treat it normally. Yeah. Other people do the same. They mimic that behavior. Yeah. That's so what it. is the Emily uh, real quick. So for our listeners, what are the appropriate? So calling it a period is appropriate when yeah tell us the language to use yeah that's not uncomfortable that is such a great question oh my gosh I never get asked that but we uh, we are stuck in the world of saying feminine hygiene we don't actually say that at all anymore nobody's in trouble if they do I don't I don't think that at all um but we say menstrual products or period products because these are just you know products to manage menstruation or periods and menstruation or periods are both like totally appropriate terms Okay. Thank you. Great, Great question. Yeah, those, that's that's really important to know. Uh, so, Emily, what are some of your final thoughts as we, um, you know, move into our last segment here? If you could give any message to the people of Utah as far as like the need for this, what would that be? Yeah, I think I think we think a lot about in the state of Utah. We think a lot about caring for other people. We like the idea of caring for our neighbor. I love that about our state. It's so awesome. And we're actually a pretty well-managed state. We really are. Um, When we think about that, we've got to be considerate of menstruation. Again, this is a foundation type of issue where we need it in order to secure so many other things for especially the children in our state, a good education, a well-rounded lifestyle. And it is one of the most impactful ways to get to the kids most in need. So to get to the ones who maybe don't have parents who are able to care for them because of whatever issues, addiction issues or other issues, um, this is a way uh, that their lives are impacted immediately and changed for the better. Yeah, well, and we talk a lot about being a family-friendly state and having policies that help, you know, but then we don't always create the policies that could help (laughs) other people, right, in the state. So it just depends on who you're helping. Sometimes it feels like... 
is where the priorities lie. Yep. Emily Bell McCormick is with the the Policy Project and Dr. Susan Matson is with the Utah Women and Leadership Project, both talking about uh, this proposal to get uh, menstruation products into Utah schools. We'll do one more segment when we come back with both these ladies on The Mom Show. Back inside The Mom Show. Dads are welcome, but moms come here to be heard. We're with Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. Talking about some proposed legislation up on Utah's Capitol Hill uh, that's trying to put uh, period products, so pads and tampons, in every Utah public school in the state of Utah. And the group that's trying to do this is the Policy Project. Emily Bell McCormick is their founder. And then with us as well, Dr. Susan Madsen. She does all the research in Utah on what impacts Utah's girls and women with the Utah Women in Leadership Project. So, Emily, as you, uh, we've been talking about this issue over the last hour. I just wonder how does not having period products for girls in school impact their confidence? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, actually, confidence is one of the few things that we know for sure, because that's something that studies have been done on. Um, And we know that not only inside the United States, but outside of the United States, that's one of the number one things that ends up being severely damaged when somebody doesn't have period products, right? Because they there's just a lot of embarrassment. I mean, any one of us, all of us have probably been in a position where we've been caught without a product and the, you know, it it can be quite embarrassing. And so girls then hesitate. They, they end up deciding not to participate in either sporting activities, school, work, whatever. Um, because that's a very real fear. And so then that also drives the lack of confidence it's kind of a cyclical thing. It's, yeah. it's really rough on yeah, girls. Yeah, that's interesting. Dr. Matson, the research on this, do you have any? So I don't have any research, but it directly on this topic. But Emily, you've inspired me to put this on our long list. We, we are in the middle of so many research studies and reports, but we have a list of like 50 other topics. So this Good, one is going on the list. Part of my goal of this entire conversation was to get this on the list. Oh, nice. <laughs> Win-win. I love it. So one of the most recent uh, research snapshots that we put out was really on uh, girls and young women and physical activity. And it's interesting that we didn't talk about this a lot, but there's some research that came up on that. Is that absolutely affects girls and young women in their decisions to, to be active, to even participate in school settings, right? And so that definitely impacts them. And that anything that impacts, honestly, anything that impacts um their choices of activities is is also impacting their confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Also, you know, when you really study confidence and hormones, uh, this might be a shocker to some guests or not. Uh, women and and men, boys and girls, have different hormones flowing through our bodies. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those things. When you look at confidence, you know, you remember. Um, you know, just when you're not feeling as good or you feel like you're not looking as good, that impacts your confidence. You don't want to stand up in front of people. You don't want to be talking, um, you know, not just the worry of maybe having an accident or something, but but just the whole bucket can impact how we see ourselves and, and how we even engage publicly, but even probably on social media. And Emily, how, how, how do you see this affecting girls' confidence? 
one really interesting thing is that, you know, in the beginning of the show, we talked a little bit about how this is an issue, you know, dealing with menstruation is an issue in low income countries. We expect it to be an issue there. We're not that surprised that there are still issues around that there. We're kind of surprised that there's an issue in America. And I was just wanting to point out that, you know, for girls in America, this is period poverty is actually much more impactful on self-esteem because our standard of living here is so 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 high Mm. it's we've got an incredible standard of living it is a complaint that you will never hear me make I love it it's amazing but the reality is listen we expect every kid to have a smartphone so if you don't have a tampon something's severely wrong yeah and because there's been all this kind of um embarrassment around talking about the stigma around menstruation it's exacerbated the issue so you really can't talk about it because if I've got a smartphone or I'm trying to buy these cool Jordans or I'm, da, 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 you know, especially in those teen years, yeah. um, it, it actually makes this problem of menstruation, not being able to care for it so much more severe here because it's so, so hidden and so um, kind of shameful. Yeah. I wanted to, to jump in real quick and this, your conversation made me think about, I don't know, have either of you read the book Invisible Women? Oh, it's on my list. Oh my gosh, you've got to read it. We're going to have a book club on this um, starting next month. Mom Show Book Club. It is about data. It's about you collect certain data and how much data is really used to make even planning, city planning decisions that are different. Anyway, there's a chapter that's super disturbing. I have to just warn you on um, bathrooms and, and just the 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 real struggles, especially with women in India and different countries, the point was really striking to me, and you'll get this, you'll totally get this. And that is, generally speaking, people build like like an opera is or, or any building, the theater or whatever, pretty much the same size restrooms for men and women. Yet when you look at what you need in terms of time, women take more time. They spend more time dealing with issues like we're talking about, menstrual issues, but also other issues as well. But I, I thought about how applicable in, in uh, but technically with our bodies, we need bathrooms that are too, like two thirds for women, one third for men, because they're so quick at going. Anyway, the decisions we make generally in society are geared towards the needs of men, not necessarily the needs of women. So that was my men's point. Bathrooms are even bigger. Yeah, well, they're even the same size. If you have the same size, there's going to be a huge lineup. If you have the same number going to the bathroom during the theater break, right at right. the Hills Theater, let's right, say right. that's when I was thinking about this years, a few years ago. The men, you know, never had a line. They they had the same size bathroom. Yeah, yeah. I'm assuming I didn't go in it. Room. And the women, but women just, and then you have the line. The line is longer for women, that even with the same number of people. I, and I never thought of it as like a policy thing or something we could create I just thought it was like I don't know more women need to go to the bathroom it just takes longer I mean it takes longer that is fascinating to me okay Dr. Susan Mattson with the Utah Women in Leadership Project Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project trying to put menstruation products in every Utah public school for uh, girls and and young girls Um, appreciate you both as always coming for our segments every month and we'll be back next week on the mom show